Praise the holy name of Jesus. Something else on your hearts before I preach. Continue to follow him through the rest of the service. Today, I, I have on my heart to do something. I don't know that I've ever done this. Um, it won't be exactly like Monday night, but I feel that I need to preach the, the same scriptures that I preached Monday night at McFerrin. And that was difficult for me because somewhere I got in me, I don't know why, that uh, every preaching needs to be extemporaneous and inspired. And that, that God, w- let me begin by saying this. I want to get to the point, and I want all of us to get to the point, and I think we're on the road to getting there, that we're comfortable doing whatever the Lord wants, period. Amen. If He wants me to preach the same sermon five times in a row, and He's in it every time, just because somebody else might do that five times in a row and He's not in it doesn't mean that's not... You understand? Let's don't be um, resistant to what the Lord wants at all. We don't, here's what I'm trying to say. If God's in it, we don't have to worry about it. Amen. Period. So continue to follow Him. I am going to try to preach on being born of the Spirit. Amen. Or if I had a subtitle, Receiving, Believing, and Spiritual Birth. See, the world doesn't understand these terms. The religious world doesn't understand. We're being John chapter 3, primarily. To be saved, to come to know God, requires a supernatural work of God. Supernatural. That means beyond the natural. That means beyond anything you can produce in your own self and beyond anything you can fully understand. What does that mean? Not a single person has ever given themselves peace with God. Not a single person has ever led themselves to God. Let me make this clear. Not a single person has ever been led to God by another person. Sometimes we say these things that sound nice. I led somebody to Christ. Jesus says, nobody can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him. Unless God draws you, unless the Holy Spirit helps you, and unless you have had a new birth, you don't know God. And so, as I said on Monday night, I want... Some of you, this will be what you, you've understood this for 50 years. That's okay. God can still show you something new. I want us to understand how to evangelize in a scriptural way. And God has put it in my heart for us to not be afraid to talk to people, but also not to be afraid to point out things that aren't true. There's phrases people get used to. They say, accept Christ. You know why I don't say that? It's not in the Bible. That phrase is nowhere in Scripture. So I don't preach that. It's not in Scripture. You say, well, well, we just mean receiving what He... Okay, how do you receive a gift that hasn't been offered to you? Scripture doesn't offer you the gift of salvation. It just tells you about it. This book, until the Holy Spirit makes it alive, is a book. And this book can't offer you salvation. God does that through the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we get in the habit of saying things, and then in our ranks... Even though we try not to say these other phrases, I hear people a lot of times say, you just have to believe. We don't have the luxury of not explaining that anymore because, as I said before, the religious West has co-opted that word and made it mean something that it didn't mean in Scripture. When those people believed, their lives were on the line. Their head might be on a stake. 
they might be killed by the government when they believed it meant something. And they even understood, and we see this in the passage with Nicodemus, they understood that believing is not the same thing as being born again. It's just one necessary um, step. I don't even know how to say it. You have to believe in God or you can't seek Him. Scripture teaches that. But believing doesn't mean you're saved. Seeking Him doesn't mean you're saved. Receiving His teachings doesn't mean you're saved. You know what means you're saved? When you have had a supernatural new birth experience with the Holy Spirit. Until that happens, there is nothing. And we need to understand that. So, we'll talk a little bit about how we should evangelize, what we should tell people when we talk about salvation. Is there a scriptural way to explain what actually happens? And in the passage we're going to read from John 3, and it should, if you've been to church much, it should be pretty familiar. We're going to see a very smart religious man come to Jesus in secret because he knows something is different about Jesus. Jesus will clearly explain to Nicodemus the necessity of being born again, and in doing so, they discuss the kingdom of God and believing. So in this message, just to be clear, I want to explain what the kingdom of God is, what does it mean to be believe, and what does it mean to be born again. Let's read in John chapter 3 and then get into this text. Beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's pause here. Does it sound like he believes? Yeah. He believes enough. He's made the effort to get there. He's told Jesus, you're different. God is with you. You're special. He believes. But he's not. He doesn't have new life yet. Jesus recognizes... And here's something we need to notice with interacting with people that don't understand the things of God. Jesus understands in his spirit what this man is really looking for, even though he didn't say it. The man says, we know you're different. Nobody could do what you do unless God's with him. Listen to how Jesus responds. He doesn't directly address that statement. Instead, he speaks to the need of the man's heart. And I want to tell us, when you're interacting with people that don't know about God, there's no formula, there's no recipe, there's no, you need to do this, this, and this. The answer is not the same for everybody. I mean, the truth is the same, and Jesus is the answer. But what I'm saying is, we need to be sensitive enough in those interactions that we can let the Holy Spirit lead us to what that person actually needs and not what we think they're asking. That's what Jesus does here. Nicodemus is not just trying to start a religious dialogue. He's searching and he's hungry. And so Jesus speaks to his deepest heart's need. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's consider this for a moment. And this is powerful. Jesus says you can't even see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again. If you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You don't understand spiritual things. You may not even be aware of them. And let's look at briefly what the kingdom of God is so you can understand what Jesus is saying. 
A lot of times in religious circles, we use that phrase, and the way we use it, we're just saying heaven someday. Heaven some We've made the gospel all about heaven someday, and it's so much more than that. The kingdom of God is more than heaven someday. It includes heaven for sure, but that's not everything. Paul wrote in Romans 14, 17, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wherever God's righteousness, wherever God's peace, wherever true joy is, wherever the Holy Spirit is, that is the manifestation of the kingdom of God among us. We're in the kingdom of God this morning. We're part of the kingdom of God this morning. We're experiencing the kingdom of God this morning. So much more than heaven. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Sometimes, boy, I need reminding of this. We get distracted by the material battles, physical battles, the struggle. And we have to remember the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. We have to remember that we're fighting and we're involved in a spiritual battle. And deeper than that, we live in a spiritual world. And this, this physical stuff is what we get distracted by. The physical realm, of course, is influenced by the spiritual, but God's kingdom is not physical in essence. The Jews never really understood this. Right up until the end, he's about to die and sacrifice himself for the salvation of anybody who would come to him. And they're still saying, will you at, right now at this time restore the kingdom? They're still interested if they're going to get their land back. If they're going to have an earthly king. They don't understand. Jesus didn't come to set up something you can see. He came to establish something that's deeper than anything your eyes can see. God's kingdom is not primarily physical although it influences the physical. We preach about Jesus being the only way to heaven. At least we should, although a lot of religious people now try to say there's multiple... No, Jesus is the only way to heaven. I think we all here understand that. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. Can't get in without me. There's only one door to heaven, and Jesus is the door. No other door. But what we miss sometimes is that Jesus is not only the entrance into heaven, but He's the sole entrance into seeing, experiencing, and understanding the spiritual realm. You want to understand where the kingdom of God is and how to serve in the kingdom of God and how to relate to the kingdom of God? You have to have Jesus. Let me make it even more clear. You're not going to see reality unless Jesus shows you through the Holy Spirit. You can't... The spiritual realm cannot be analyzed and observed and uh, you can't use your brain because your brain can't see it. It's something deeper. The spiritual realm can only be seen with spiritual eyes. And so if you want to understand the deepest things that matter the most, you have to know Jesus. That's why he says, I'm the light of the world. You know what light does? It lets you see stuff. I don't mean to say it so flippantly, but really can't see anything without light. You can't see anything without Jesus. Nothing that matters. So Jesus is not just a, an ingredient or a part of all the religious stuff we're doing. He's it. Period. God could burn down this building. He could 
take us all away from every routine custom and expectation we have. And as long as Jesus is there, that will be enough. He, Moses understood that. And I won't preach about that today, but y'all have heard me preach about that. Better to have the presence of God than the mere blessings of God. Let's confirm this with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15.50 What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. The next point about the kingdom of God, Jesus was the introduction of God's kingdom on earth. I love this. Matthew 4.17 From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he began his earthly ministry, and just before that, when John the Baptist became, be, um, began proclaiming that someone's coming after me who was preferred before me, one who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he, he must be increased and I must decrease. The, the Messiah is coming. John knew that. And then when Jesus arrived in that capacity, there was the kingdom of heaven on earth. So these people were in the presence of Jesus, they were right there with the kingdom of heaven. They didn't get it. They were still trying to establish their own religious kingdom. And we look back at them and say, those silly Jews, but we're the same way. We're trying to build a kingdom of natural expectations of what we think God wants to do, and what He wants to do is blow up all of our plans. He wants to obliterate our expectations. He wants to free us from the burden of, of routine. Do you know that? Sameness gets stale. It's just like a, in a creek when there's a little area that the water's not flowing, it gets stagnant. That's what happens when you want things to be the same way over and over and over. God's not like that. Every day is new with Him. It's beautiful. Jesus is the introduction of God's kingdom on earth. And the last point about the kingdom I want us to get before we go any further is, it is God's kingdom, not our kingdom. And not anybody else's. Jesus made this clear when he taught us how to pray. He said, pray after this manner. One of the things he said was, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was the son of God and he was one with God. And yet he recognized this is my father's kingdom. This is my father's world. We have to recognize and this is a warning and this is preparation for the future as God continues to work in this congregation. Uh, there's going to be times that we start kind of want, like people, it's natural. They start to want something the way they want it. We've got to surrender that continually to the Lord. This is His kingdom. And I want to be very clear. I don't, I don't know what we need. Except we need God and we need the truth. But I don't... I remember when I first got to this church and different people I would talk to would say, what's your vision for Hendersonville Missionary Baptist Church? And I wasn't, I mean, it was as sincere as I could be. I would say, I don't have a vision for the church because God hasn't shown me. I don't know. And I'm not going to come up with some random things I think you should do just so we can feel busy. You know what we did instead? We tried to seek the Lord. We tried to preach the truth. And, and, and God kept burdening me to remind us that it's all Him. Yes. And it seems like it's starting to take effect. And the Lord is really showing us that. But it's God's kingdom. And then later in that prayer, the 13th verse of chapter 6, Matthew. 
Jesus said, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thine is the kingdom. So let's remember that, brothers and sisters. Anything we do when it comes to church, it's all God. And truly, I can't emphasize this enough. Truly, all that matters is what He wants. Do, do, are you comfortable with that? All that matters is what He wants. I have to surrender that. I, I'm, I was struggling to get this message started because the enemy's like, you already said that on Monday night. You already said that. Well, how, most of y'all weren't there. A few of you were. And I bet y'all don't mind hearing it again, do you? But that's how he works. Even though I'm preaching this and saying all that matters is what God wants, I know this is what God wants, and it's still hard for me to let go of what I think He should want. Lord, you should be telling me to preach something I've never thought of before. <laughs> when the most important things is the thing that I've been thinking of my whole life since He saved me. God and His goodness. The miraculous gift of salvation. We don't need to come up with something new all the time. We need to get our eyes on Him. However He wants to do that, we've got to get comfortable with, brothers and sisters. So that's a little bit. I could talk more, but that's a little bit about what the kingdom of God is. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 3, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's not even talking about getting into the kingdom of God. Jesus is not yet talking about salvation. He's saying you can't even see any of this unless you have spiritual birth. Everything I'm talking about you can't understand, you won't be aware of. Isn't that something? That's why religious people, that's why Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, who was one of the smartest religious people around, was blind. Until God started to open his eyes and draw him. And even then, he wasn't saved yet. He didn't have peace yet. God had to do that. You're not even going to see the kingdom of God. Then Nicodemus. Now, we sort of sometimes scoff at this response because it sounds silly. But this is an honest man searching for truth. Jesus says you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is clearly expressing, he doesn't have the 2,000 years of religious Christianity conditioning that we have. There is no Christianity yet. There's Judaism. And there's Jesus. And he's having trouble understanding the difference. And brothers and sisters, let me say this, let me remind us. Sometimes we have trouble understanding the difference in religion and Jesus. But there's a great difference. And even when religion is what it should be, it's still not Jesus. At its very best, religion points us to Jesus and helps us worship Jesus. But He is not religion. Nicodemus is starting to learn that here. He says, How, can, I, can I be born from my mom again? Jesus says, fifth verse, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I'm going to get into the, the Greek in this in a little bit, but I want to go ahead and say, even if you've never seen a Greek word before and you don't have an interlinear Bible and you don't know any of that, that's fine. Jesus explained it in a way that was so clear. He tells Nicodemus what is necessary to see the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't understand. And then Jesus explains it to him in a simple way. You've got to be born of water, the Spirit. If you're not, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And then he gives him an analogy of the wind. Man, I wish religious people could get this. There's a lot of evangelistic techniques. There are seminary classes that teach you how to evangelize. There's whole divisions and universities dedicated to this. And yet, Jesus is the one we should copy. Nowhere in this dialogue does he tell Nicodemus any ABCs or just do this and you'll be fine. Or do you believe? Do you confess? None of that. He wants him to get it. Then Nicodemus says in the ninth verse, how can these things be? <clears throat> you know, he says, I still don't get it. Now, Jesus says something that we might think sounds unkind. But he's being honest, he's being truthful, and he is illustrating to Nicodemus, your religion can't save you. He says, 10th verse, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, Nicodemus, you know something's missing. And I want to make sure you understand that all of your life dedicated to religion is not enough. You're not just a Jew, you're a ruler of the Jews, and you still don't get it. He's not being mean. He's helping Nicodemus understand the great, um, vast void between Jesus and false religion, or religion in general. He wants him to get it. Now he goes further. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. What's he talking about? The Jews in general. In, earlier in chapter 1, we're told, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. That's what Jesus is talking about. He wants Nicodemus to understand, although the Jews are the people of God, you've rejected me. And if you don't get past that, Nicodemus, you're not going to know me. We speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Nicodemus, being a teacher of the Jews, would, would readily remember and understand this reference. You all remember that from the Old Testament? People were bit by snakes and the only way they could be cured was to look at a bronze serpent lifted up. And that was a direct testimony of the coming Messiah. Now, this, all of this, Jesus explained before John 3.16. Some people think John 3.16 is the gospel. That's it. And... Jesus didn't just tell Nicodemus John 3.16 and then say, do you believe that? Do you accept it? All right, you're good, buddy. That's what religion does to people. And 
if anybody could have done that effectively, it would have been Jesus because he can actually see Nicodemus's heart. We can't. So I, I will never tell somebody, you're saved now. You know why? I can't see your heart. I can't see what if God... I can see the results. I can see apparent fruits. We can observe behavior. We can feel the witness of the Holy Spirit. But if Jesus didn't try to turn this into a quick religious conversion, like a, a checkbox, uh, it reminds me of just plain old sales tactics, how people do this today. Jesus didn't do that. So John 3.16, he explains, he says it in the middle of this whole conversation. And it's a beautiful passage, but we have to understand the context. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. See, if that's all Jesus wanted to explain, He would have jumped right back into Nicodemus. But He's still explaining it. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. People love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out or wrought in God." Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this is real. And the only way you're going to see this is if light shines on you. And if light shines into your deepest voids, it's going to be uncomfortable. All the things you thought you understood, all the things you thought you were comfortable about are going to be exposed. And Jesus also explains in this passage, before I get back to the rest of the message, He says, He didn't send His Son in the world to condemn the world. In other words, the purpose of Jesus' coming wasn't to make you feel bad. But until you feel bad, you're not going to be saved because you have to recognize who you are. That's not the purpose, but it's a result of what happens when light is shined on darkness. It's not comfortable. We just read the word believe a whole bunch. I want you to understand what believe means. And I said this at the beginning of the message. The religious West has co-opted this word and made it mean something it doesn't mean. I said this when I preached Monday night, uh, how language changes. If I come in here and say, I'm feeling really gay today. Now, some of y'all, old, probably all of us know what I, you know, because we read King James. And, but that's not how the word is used today. Maybe a hundred years ago, everybody would understand I mean that I feel happy and joyful. That's not what the word means anymore. And so, we don't have the luxury. You say, well, the Bible says believe. Yeah, but when it was translated into English, even if that was the best word at the time, there was an understanding that people were still being burned at the stake and... and and killed in all other kinds of horrible ways if they believed. It was so much more than a mere intellectual acceptance. It was so much more than thinking something. The way you believe in Jesus is not the way you believe in Santa Claus. It's different. And so we use the word that same way. And we have to understand that there's something deeper here. It's not just what you think in your head. People, if I say to somebody, just believe in Jesus, all they know is 
what I think in my head. Okay, I'm sure, I believe what you're saying. But that doesn't mean anything's happened in here. How many of us believed in Jesus as a child, a little kid, because we were told about him? It's a beautiful story. Why wouldn't you believe in him? But you weren't saved until you were saved. Until you, till you understood enough to surrender your life to him. And that's so much more than just a decision or just believing. I'm going to show you this in Scripture as well, but I want us to understand these principles. Um, so the religious world teaches believe, and then people assume that believing is knowing. If you just believe, then you are a child of God. And believing doesn't mean you've had any kind of spiritual experience. I mean, we could use the scripture that said the devils also believe in fear and trembling. Right. Demons believe. You know who believes in God more than probably anybody? Satan. He's not saved. Believing's not enough. It's just part of getting to, to Jesus. And just because you believe doesn't mean that you have had an experience from God. That's why Jesus explains the Nicodemus so clearly. You've got to have a, a, a birth, not just a belief. You ask what's wrong with a lot of Christians. They have a belief, but they haven't had a birth. That's why there's so much talk among people and so much self-criticism and so much of this focus on my faith and walking away from the faith and I have faith. I hear, I hear these politicians talk about that. You need faith. You know what matters more than your faith? What the faith is focused on. Faith, believing, it doesn't make something real. There's a lot of talk about that and not enough talk about the supernatural work of God in salvation. Believing is not the same thing as receiving. Can we understand that for a minute? It's not. Believing is not the same thing as receiving. How many of you believe something was going to happen and it didn't happen? My whole life. Every day. Believing is not the same thing as receiving. So you can't tell somebody all you have to do is believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean they've received the gift of eternal life. It's just a step, an aspect. I don't even want to call it a step. It's an aspect. And even though the Bible, this translation uses the word believe, we've got to explain it to people. We don't have the luxury of not explaining it. We also know from Scripture that salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And a gift has to be offered by somebody. You can't gift a gift to yourself. Or I guess you can, but it's not very happy. Like, it doesn't feel the same as a real gift, does it? So you can try to gift salvation to yourself if you want to. It's not going to be the real thing. And, and it's going to feel just like giving yourself a phony gift at Christmas. It's not the same as when somebody else offers you a gift from their heart and you receive it with thankfulness and joy. Salvation is a gift Jesus offers through His Holy Spirit. And until He offers, you can't have it. <clears throat> And I want to be very clear. I love this book. It's the best book in the world. But this book doesn't offer you the gift of salvation. It just tells you about it. The Holy Spirit individually to every single person He deals with offers you the gift of salvation. When He started dealing with my heart, I was nine years old. I've said this before, but that's when the Holy Spirit said, Here I am if you want me. 
but you've got to come under a, a way I require. You've got to come in absolute humility. You've got to come in brokenness. You've got to surrender yourself to me. I wasn't ready to do that. There are conditions to the gift God offers. You've got to come to Him the way He requires. Now, let's look at Scripture to see what Jesus is really telling Nicodemus when he explains that we must believe on Him. If you look at John 3.16 and the rest of this passage when Jesus is talking about believing in Him or on Him, the way it's worded in Greek, I've pulled out my little interlinear Bible where we can just read it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him... The Greek word, pas, that means everybody, any single person, believes is the Greek word pistuo, and the word in is translated from the Greek word ace. I, I've explained, explained it Monday night. There is a word in Greek that we would translate, transliterate en. We would transliterate it as in. And Jesus could have used that word, and he didn't. In other places, he used that word. But when he talks about believing in God, he uses the word, the preposition ace, which is more accurately translated into. It's interesting. It's a subtle difference. But anybody who's been saved by the grace of God, you know what I'm talking about. You weren't just believing in Him. You were trusting into Him. I mean, you put everything on Him and in Him, and He was it. And so that's even embedded in the language. And if you don't know, the New Testament was written in, in Greek, not English. There wasn't any King James yet. I hope everybody knows that. And so even on a language level, there's more of a depth. It's not just believing in. It's, it's, it's deeper. It's trusting into. And this word pistio is not just an intellectual um, agreeing or something. There's, there's a deeper depth to it. And it'd be better to translate it trust. Right now, maybe a hundred years from now, that word might be co-opted and we'll need a different one. But you got to trust. You put all your trust into Jesus. Put all your hope in Him. That's what it takes. There's nothing else. And what does it mean to be born again? I could spend a little more time on believing, but I, I think Jesus, even without the Greek language, without us looking at that, the way he explains it to Jesus answers what it takes to be saved. Being born again. The word is actually the Greek word anathen, and it's the same word that was used when Jesus died, and the veil which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in half, from top to bottom, by the power of God, from above. The veil was ripped from above. Jesus, when he says born again, he's actually saying you must be born from above. And this does away with this silliness that you can be saved over and over and over, and every time you make a big enough sin, you need to be saved again. I'm not being mean to people who say that. I'm saying what Jesus did was enough. And when you're really saved, it doesn't mean you'll never sin again, but you only have to be born once. Just like you had one natural birth. That's what he's explaining. God gives us parallels everywhere. Just like you had one natural birth, you only need one spiritual birth. 
that if we just had an accurate translation and it said born from above, the repetitiveness wouldn't even be there. That false doctrine would have not developed. Isn't that something? Born from above. An actual spiritual birth. There's actually a change. There's actually a new creation. It's more than just, I've decided to believe this stuff now, and therefore I should be different. Something new is created, and a new person's actually born. 2 Corinthians tells us that, 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Did you all experience that when you came to know God? I remember how different... I was after he saved me. Brother Joe, we were talking the other day. He usually sits back there. He said, before God saved me, I hated everybody. If you've met him, I can't imagine a per Like, he's the opposite of hating everybody. God changed him. I felt something similar. I'm not the same as I used to be. There's something new that's made. I've had friends in my life that have told me because they've been taught. I've been a Christian all my life. And it breaks my heart. Because that's like a little kid. I'll give this analogy. Like a little kid, they grow up innocent and happy and then maybe around three or four years old, the little kid gets invited to somebody's birthday party. And they come home and they tell their mom and they're like, why don't I have birthday parties? And the mom says, oh, you, you've just existed all your life. You've just always... No, they celebrate a birth because there was an introduction of something new into the world that happened once. And every year we remember that. It's the same with salvation. I know exactly where I was when God spoke peace to my soul. I happen to know the date because it was a, a rememberal, it was the national holiday. It was Independence Day. It was July 4th, 1999. That's when I was born, spiritually. And you don't have to know the date if you don't know or the day of the week, but there has to be a time when a new birth happened from above. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter if you believe. It doesn't matter if you think you've received the teachings of Christ. There's an actual new creation. How does the spiritual birth happen? And I won't be much longer, but I need to explain this part. How does the spiritual birth happen? If anybody could explain clearly what being saved is like, it would be Jesus. Here's how he explained it. Huh. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's look at that verse first. I want you to understand this. Nicodemus is a religious expert. He's a ruler of the Jews. The Jews had all sorts of water purification rituals. He would understand when Jesus says, you've got to be born of water, he would understand. There would automatically be a reference back to his religious training that Jesus is telling me about purification. Now, this translation says born of water and the Spirit. I'm going to go to the Greek again. The, the word and is translated from the Greek conjunction... Kai, K-A-I is how it would be transliterated. That word can be translated as and, even, also, namely. It can be used as a uh, conjunction linking items in a series, or it can be used to emphasize the prior word. And the way it's being used here 
I, I think this would be more accurate. Unless one is born of water, even the Spirit, or water, particularly the Spirit. Jesus is saying, you've got to be born of water. I'm talking about the Spirit. Doesn't that do away with the... Conf- I've heard people explain this so many ways. But the water's talking about your mama's water breaking, a natural birth. No, Jesus said that which is physical is physical, that which is spiritual is spiritual. He already told Nicodemus, I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about spiritual things. It doesn't even make sense that he's saying, you've got to be born by your mom and born by God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, unless one is born of water, even the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he explains it more. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. Now this part, Nicodemus would understand this. We probably don't understand it unless somebody explains it. And this is the last big teaching point I'm making in this message. So please really pay attention. If we just read the text... The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. That's still a pretty good explanation. How'd you get saved? I don't really know. (laughs) But I'm different. I mean, I can tell you some things that happened. God started dealing with my heart. I felt uncomfortable and broken and I prayed and at some point I wasn't the same anymore. And I've never been that old person again. But how he did it, you see what I'm saying? It's not our job to package everything up in a cute little box that explains it all. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he gave Nicodemus an explanation, an analogy. He said, it's kind of like the wind. You know how the wind works? Not really. You know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? Even when the weather forecast says uh, you have a a 7 mile per hour wind from the west, you go outside. I know this because my favorite thing is to sit in the sun, even in the winter, and have the wind blocked. The wind moves constantly. You can be right here. Man, this is good. I'm getting, I'm baking. I'm just, and then the wind moves and now I'm cold. I got to go over here and find somewhere else. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that's how the Holy Spirit is. You don't have control over him. You don't fully understand Him. You can't fully describe Him. Now, I want to go one level deeper. If you look at this in Greek, the English language is so limited. And I like English. I was an English major in college. It's, it's a, I enjoy it. But the Greek language is dynamic. He, Jesus is telling Nicodemus two things at one time using the same words. And Nicodemus was a religious expert. He would have known this. The same word for wind is the same word for spirit. Pneuma. Did you know that? When we see in another place in the New Testament, Jesus breathed on His apostles. That's the wind from His mouth, but it's also the spirit. God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Breath and spirit. That's why we have the word pneumatic in English. Relating to air. So they don't have a separate word in Greek for for wind and spirit. So when Jesus says, don't be amazed that I told you you must be born from above, now he explains it. The wind blows wherever it wishes, you hear its sound. 
The same word for sound in Greek is the same word for voice, phone. So let, let me show you what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. At the same time that he's telling him what we just read, he's also saying this. The Holy Spirit moves wherever he wills. You hear his voice, but you don't know where he comes from or where he's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I feel that. Thank you, Lord. See, that's what happened to me when God saved me. I've been trying to explain it ever since he saved me at 14. And I guess I'll be trying to explain it the rest of my life. But the truth is, it was like this. The Holy Spirit came. He dealt with me. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I repented. I tried to repent. But I couldn't even do that on my own. He had to help me. But at some point, something happened. <laughs> and I was different. And I stayed different. I'm still different. I'm never going back. Because it's not me. I'm not the one keeping it. There's no other way. This is the only way. If the Holy Spirit hasn't moved in your life and made you a new creation, you're not saved. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you if you believe, good. That's the first step. Or to use scripture, you believe, you do well. So do the devils. Do you see how insignificant just believing is? And yet it's necessary. You need to believe in God to seek Him. But believing is not salvation. And even, I want us to see this before I fully end. When it says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. In the first chapter, John chapter 1, verse 11. I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I'm going to open back up and take just a moment longer. Because this is beautiful. Some people think receiving. You can't, again, I explained this, but I need to say, you can't receive a gift that's not being offered to you. Jesus, here's how it works. He was, uh, let's start in the 10th verse. He was in the world, this is John chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world, the world was made through him or by him, and yet the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's what he was talking to Nicodemus about. He came unto his own, his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. Let me be very clear. Until you recognize inside of you, that's what it means to receive Jesus. Until you recognize inside of you that He's your only hope, you can't be saved. These Jews that were still trusting in their heritage, that were saying we have Abraham to our father, that were rejecting Jesus as Messiah, they had no hope of salvation. Because they weren't recognizing who was in front of them. This, where it says, as many as received him, to them gave he power. That's the Greek word exousia, which has to do with literally power, but it could also be ability, choice, capacity. You can't be saved until God offers it to you. And you can't be saved until you recognize who he is and that he's your only hope. That's what it means to receive him. Believing's not salvation, receiving's not salvation. Salvation is salvation. And specifically, it is new birth. If you say, I don't really understand why you're spending all this time talking about it, let me be clear. I want people to be saved. I want them to go to heaven, not hell, and I want them to live in this life the best life they can have through God. That's only possible if they know God. 
And most people aren't teaching that knowing God is so much deeper than this. Man, it's, it's so much. If, if God's blessings in my life were dependent upon my mental capacity, what if everything good in your life you had to filter through your mind? Praise God that He blesses me beneath and past and above my mind. Praise God that He's not limited by my mental ability to understand Him. Man, it's so much deeper. If you've been saved, you experience something you still can't fully understand. That's the beauty of it. What kind of God would he be if you could just, yep, 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 check, 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 yep, there's God. No, he's so big. And I guess as I end this message, I, I just, I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been a teaching that maybe some of you have never heard this before. Those of you who've had me as a pastor before, you've heard it several times. But I want to tell you, let God be God. Don't try to be God for yourself. You can't believe enough to have peace. You just have to surrender to Him. How many of you have tried to make yourself peaceful? I do that all the time. I'm a high-strung person. I'm an, I, I live life intensely. And I, don't, I like that. I wouldn't want to be any other way. But I've tried, you know, I sit down and breathe deeply and all that. You know what really, the only thing that works is surrendering myself to the Lord. And He will give us peace. If you don't have peace today, if you're listening on this recording, I want to look right at you right now and tell you, you can have peace. What it takes is coming to God with so much honesty like Nicodemus and telling him all the things you don't understand. Telling him, that doesn't make sense. Telling him, I was told this by religion though. I was, I've met so many people who when they were a kid, they accept, believe, confessed, and were told they were okay. I know people who did it multiple times. I know people who were baptized multiple times because every time they were trying to make this happen. And then one day God spoke peace to their soul and that was different than everything else. That's what I want you to have. And if there's somebody here who doesn't know him yet, that's what I want you to have. That's the message. Go ahead and God bless you all. Thank the Lord for who he is. Let's get a song, Sister Jody, if we could.